Ciao, amici. Welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about two movies, Federico Fellini's 1953 film I Vidaloni, along with Lena Wertmüller's 1963 I Vasiliski. Both these movies, early in their respective directors' careers, follow a group of young men living in a small town who lack a sense of direction and responsibility. They appear almost stuck as adult-age children, too comfortable and too lazy to go out and make a life for themselves. But before we jump into today's movies, a couple of news updates. The 2021 Venice Film Festival recently completed back in September 2021. The Grand Jury Prize, considered the second-place award, went to Paolo Sorrentino's Estata la Mano di Dio, or The Hand of God. The Hand of God also earned the Marcello Mastroianni Award in recognition of its young lead actor, Filippo Scotti. It's set to come in select theaters in November, followed by a global release on Netflix later in December. And then in home video news, Federico Fellini's La Strada is receiving a standalone Blu-ray release from the Criterion Collection, featuring the new 4K restoration that was done as part of the Fellini 100 celebration last year, also set to be released in November. For the most part, it'll be the same content and package as what was included in the Essential Fellini box set, plus a new essay by film critic Christina Newland. And then for today's discussion, we'll go in chronological order, starting first with Ividaloni, followed by Ibasiliski, then we'll look at the commonalities and differences between each film. I first saw Evita Loni back in college as I was just diving into Fellini's filmography. After seeing more fantastical, stylistically striking works like Eight and a Half and La Dolce Vita, as well as experiencing the emotional depths of La Strada, Evita Loni struck me as much more down-to-earth and even humble. I was a Fellini fan from day one, but I thought this somewhat more subdued feature could be more accessible and a good gateway for someone whose tastes fall outside of what's typically considered Fellini-esque. As a quick rundown of the film's plot, uh, the name Evita Loni means the large calves, but as slang, it refers to unemployed men living off of their parents. It follows five young men, Moraldo, Fausto, Alberto, Leopoldo, and Ricardo, over the course of about a year. The main moving narrative is that of Fausto, who is forced into a marriage after impregnating Sandra, Moraldo's sister, and how Fausto responds to the growing need for responsibility and commitment. While Fausto is the main catalyst, the perspective of the story is mostly from Moraldo, the youngest of the group. He's almost the observer and moral center. He has less clear ambitions out of any of the five men, and he's a little more passive, but he also seems to be the most aware. While the five men are passive and less assertive, the sisters of Ivideloni are much more active agents of their fate. First, looking at Sandra, Moraldo's sister. When we meet her, she's crowned Miss Mermaid, the winner of a small-town beauty pageant, but there's the sense that there's a bright future ahead that's shaken up when she, when she faints shortly after being crowned, and it's revealed that she's pregnant, unexpectedly. After putting up with Fausto's antics throughout the film, 
trying to make it work, she ultimately takes the child and leaves him. And then we also have Olga, Alberto's sister. She seems educated. She works in an office job. During the film, it's revealed that she's having an affair with an older unmarried man, but she also has the agency to choose her own path and ultimately leaves town with him against the wishes of her mother. Another interesting idea is the naming of Fausto. Fausto's name can certainly be seen as a contemporary version of the Faust legend. In the story, Faust trades his soul to the devil for knowledge and earthly pleasures. The version of Faust by Goethe has Faust meeting and corrupting a young woman, Gretchen, and is later forgiven by the spirits of the earth. These events certainly paralleled the journey of our Fausto in Ividaloni. After impregnating Sandra, to whom he doesn't seem particularly attached, he continues to spiral into pursuing his own self-interest, including chasing girls, without regard to his wife and child. He is by far the most morally bankrupt of all the Vidaloni, whose extreme cruelty and carelessness is almost shocking. And an interesting cultural event that's observed is that of Carnival and Lent. In the Catholic Church, Carnival, which is the same thing as Mardi Gras, is the last final send-off before things become sober and solemn with Ash Wednesday and the start of Lent. During this kind of last big party, we see Alberto dressed up as a woman and in makeup, who at the end of the night sees a giant figure of a clown, and suddenly his mood changes. His sister Olga leaves home, and Alberto realizes that he's all that's left for his mother to depend on. That night, Fausto also begins making advances on Julia, the wife of his boss, and ultimately gets himself fired. The coming of Carnival and then passing into Lent reflects a shift from a carefree, reckless good time into a more stoic, responsible, introspective, making penance for oneself and facing the consequences of one's actions. And then looking at the cultural moment that Ividaloni is set in, we're looking at mid-1950s Italy, so this is less than a decade after World War II ended. While it's not addressed directly, there's certainly the sense of a missing generation. We know Alberto's father has passed away. We see Leopoldo living with his aunts, no mention of where his parents actually are, and he finds a temporary father figure in a seasoned actor, Natali. With parents missing both out of tragedy as well as absentee parents, it's easy to see how this sense of lethargy and lack of responsibility grows and develops. It makes it all the more satisfying at the end of the film when Fausto's father, who's grown sick of him, literally beats sense into him. In terms of Fellini's filmography, this is his third feature, his second as a solo director. Like I mentioned earlier, this one's a little less flashy, fantastical, or emotionally heightened as some of his other movies, but the down-to-earth qualities make the wit of the script and the real gravitas of the storytelling all the more poignant. These are very real people and authentic settings that we are invested in. Next, I wanted to talk about Lena Wertmuller's I Basiliski. My first viewing of this film 
came after experiencing Wertmuller's more outrageous color movies, thinking of Seven Beauties and Swept Away from the 1970s. So it's interesting to see a more subdued, black-and-white, mellow film of hers. That said, there's certainly glimmers of things that will come up later in her career, such as exploring the elite versus proletariat, communism, and overall political awareness. The basic plot summary is that we follow three young men, Antonio, Francesco, and Sergio, who are bored with their small town, but they don't do anything about it. They spend their days following girls, roaming around, gossiping, and putting things off for later. The film even opens with everyone in town taking a nap. To unpack the film's title a little bit, Ivasiliski literally means the basilisks. A basilisk is a mythological creature, a serpent that can paralyze or kill you with one look or by being in its presence. While the young men of the town aren't outwardly evil or vicious, their nonchalance and non-involvement is certainly disappointing and discouraging. Their attitude kills the spirits and optimism of those around them. Basilisks are also featured in the seals for several towns in the Basilicata region of southern Italy. My guess is the film's title is a sort of play on words, referring to residents of Basilicata. The specific setting isn't given, but Bari is mentioned as a nearby big city. So the story being set in or around Basilicata isn't isn't a big stretch. An interesting element that popped out is the film's cinematography. A striking example came with a shot of Anna, a young woman with a beehive hairdo. The shot begins overhead with a bird's eye view looking down as Anna exits a building. The camera stays still, but then turns to follow her as she continues on her path. It rotates sideways, reaching an almost 90 degree angle, and is so turned over that the tops of buildings and the horizon are visible, like an extreme crane of the neck turning to the right. Then Francesco notices her and follows her, creeping into the frame from the left, almost like the big bad wolf following Red Riding Hood. She even has her purse, almost acting like Red Riding Hood's basket. The shot then cuts, and we jump from alleyway to alleyway, as Anna continues along with Francesco behind in pursuit. It's all set up to be almost predatory, heightened by the music, but by the time we catch up to Anna, she's equally sharp back to Francesco. She's aware of his presence and totally in control, telling him to wait until she thinks about it to make a decision. Ivasiliski also explores several versions of community, from social to economic to political. We have the Circolo Cultural Club, organized by the men of town as a sort of cultural center or hangout spot. We have the Agricultural Cooperative, proposed by Madalena, a sharp young woman who lives in town, trying to gain steam among the residents. We also have the nobility, a political structure with a decreasing role in 1960 society. Probably the most fleshed out look at community is at a political engagement. Within town, the older generation are fascists and proud of it. Later in the film, we have three outsiders in Antonio's Aunt Maria and two friends of hers who come to town. They certainly seem much more politically aware and active One of the friends, Luciana, is shocked that Antonio and Francesco are unaware of an event in 1947 when the communist headquarters and agricultural offices within town were burned down. 
neither of the men seem very interested in this. And then in a later scene, when asking around for support to form a cooperative, Madalena asks the town doctor, another educated woman, for her support. The doctor says, privately, she will support the initiative, but asks that they don't mention her name, or she'll potentially lose clients. There's a noticeable disconnect between the outsiders, or the intellectually elite, versus what the more down-to-earth, uneducated citizenry living there seems to want or care about. Ivasiliski also explores class distinctions and disparities, which of course becomes a recurring theme throughout Wertmuller's entire career. Antonio and his brothers are the sons of a notary, with more formal education than those working in agriculture. One of the brothers, Luigi, wants to marry Maria Rosa from a less well-off family, but their father instead makes them marry Elenucha, the daughter of a pharmacy owners. The father thinks it's a better match, despite how miserable Luigi looks at this pairing. On the flip side, Francesco is the son of a farmer. He's almost proud to say, in this family, no one has read anything. At one point in the film, Antonio and Francesco, from their two different class backgrounds, come across a young woman who has been assaulted by her landlord. Antonio is astonished that no one in her family, including her father, has done anything about it. Francesco shrugs it off and says that defending honor is a luxury. If the father had spoken up, they could have been evicted. So he understands why he wouldn't have taken that risk. To take a step back to look at this cultural moment the film is set in, like I mentioned earlier, we know we're near Bari, I would guess somewhere in Basilicata, and assuming that the film is contemporary, it's sometime in the late 1950s, early 1960s. To speak a little bit to 1947, the concrete date divided by the outsiders who come to town, in the late 1940s was an era where communism was gaining popularity in Italy, particularly in agricultural areas like Sicily and Tuscany, who supported the growth of sharecropping. To combat the rise of communism, the anti-communist movement became dependent on mafia violence and Christian Democrats. In May 1947, a tragedy broke out when 11 leftist peasants were killed in Palermo, in Sicily, at the International Workers' Day Parade. They were killed by Salvatore Giuliano and his associates. This massacre led to the removal of all left-wing members of the Italian cabinet by the end of that month. It's hard to know whether the call-out to 1947 that Luciana makes is tied to a specific real event or to the overall era of political violence and repression. But, real or not, it still speaks to an era and a movement that continued to linger on and impact communities even decades later. Within Lina Wertmuller's filmography, Ivaseliski was her very first feature film after working with Federico Fellini as an assistant director on Eight and a Half. Some of the elements that we'll keep seeing later in Wertmuller's career include the sense of humor, irony, occasionally grotesque or extreme characters, but here in Ivasiliski, it's still largely in a neorealist vein. Many of the underlying political ideas from economic inequality, organizing, the plight of the working class, will continue throughout her films, such as in Love and Anarchy, Swept Away, and many more.
next, wanted to chat through some of the commonalities between these films, and there's a lot of commonalities. First, looking at the overall basis for these films, looking at a group of directionless young men. Both films see their leads have opportunities to move forward. In Ivideloni, Fausto does get a job in an antique store, but he gets himself sacked by hitting on one of the owners. Leopoldo, the playwright, is almost in the opposite boat. He pitches his play to an actor that he admires, who receives it enthusiastically, but then runs away when the actor makes advances back on him. In Ibasiliski, Antonio is taken to Rome by his aunt and her friends, but he returns home and never goes back to Rome. Francesco works with Madalena to grow support for the agricultural cooperative, but loses steam and puts it off. Of both movies, the only one who does anything and sticks with it is Moraldo from Ividaloni. He's fed up with what he sees around him. He takes a train out of town and leaves his peers behind. We don't know what becomes of him, if he finds success or failure, but he's the only one who actually makes it out. Within both films, we also have the disappointment of parents and family. In Ividaloni, Fausto's father calls him a coward for trying to leave when Sandra is pregnant. Sandra's mother unhappily acknowledges that the young couple will have to live with her family until he gets a job. In Alberto's family, when Olga, his sister, tells their mother about her affair, she sobs, crying of after all she sacrificed and for her daughter to go and do something like this. Within Ibasiliski, we have Antonio's dad, who won't give him money to go see the review in Bari. He says he should be ashamed to ask his father for money after all he's done for him. We also have Luigi's dad, who does not want him to marry Maria Rosa, which would be opportunistic for that lower-class family. And instead, Luigi should marry Elenuccia from an upper-class family to provide that social mobility. In both films, we have this generation who almost certainly sacrificed and lost so much during World War II, and still, over a decade later, continue to have to support for their children. The expectation of parents in Ibasiliski is more around social mobility, whereas in Ividaloni, it's more about doing what the parents believe is morally right. There's also a couple interesting ties to show business. In Ividaloni, a fun outing that comes up is a review with chorus girls, one of whom Fausto gets together with. The whole gang goes, but the outing is driven by Leopoldo wanting to meet with the aged actor Sergio Natali. In Ibasiliski, an almost parallel event takes place when dancing girls come to body. We also have Chichi, the wife of nobility, as the beautiful blonde in town that everyone eyes over. In both films, dancing girls are somewhat objectified. They're almost like a distraction or toy from the everyday. Fausto seems to pursue one in particular as an exciting alternative to his to his wife and the mother of his child, Sandra. In Ibasiliski, Chichi is the object of attention and attraction from all the men in town. A broad concept throughout both films is exploring who has the agency and ability to leave. Within Ividaloni, we have Moraldo, who seems fed up with Fausto, and perhaps less intensely, by the loafers around him. When the film ends, he leaves, but he says he doesn't know why. It's more of a push factor driving him out. Within Ibasiliski, for Antonio, he is pulled out 
by his aunt and her friends from Rome, lured out with the promise of a good job, but then he comes back home and never returns. Whatever was in Rome wasn't enough for him, or conditions at home weren't bad enough to really keep him away. The idea of sleep and laziness is also explored in interestingly different ways in both films. Evie Deloni ends with Moraldo leaving town on a train, and our last shots of the other four men are with each of them sleeping in their respective beds. On the flip side, Ivasiliski begins with everybody taking a nap. Everyone's taking a rest after lunchtime. An interesting gender dynamic is that it's all the men who are sleeping, those who stay awake are all the women. The placement of sleep at the beginning versus the end of the films also has interesting implications. For Evita Loni, the film begins with the crowning of Miss Mermaid, and we're introduced to each young man one at a time, introducing their skills and potential. Each one is presented as having a real future. But the film ends with only Moraldo leaving while the others sleep. We meet them with potential and leave them lazing around, wasting their future. For Ibasiliski, we actually meet each of the characters while they're resting. It almost moves their laziness earlier, setting the stage and making no qualms about the character's drive or lack thereof. And as a formal element that's used in different ways, looking at the film's music, with Iviraloni, the score by Nino Rota is somewhat characteristic of him. It's much, it's very lush, orchestral, romantic, passionate. Whereas the musical score in Ivasiliski by Ennio Morricone is almost minimalist. It doesn't have as much movement and kind of the cadence and pace of it almost has these like haunting echoes of a whistle. It feels like a Western. And perhaps the difference in musical tones is symbolic of how each film can be approached. Between the two, Ivita Loni is probably more accessible or traditional. In some ways, it almost has a classical Hollywood ending, and the way it's shot and constructed feels a little bit more traditional. On the flip side, Ivasiliski is much more cynical, harsher. The blacks and the whites are more extreme. So a musical score that's a little more challenging and doesn't pull you in as much is representative of how one can engage with the film. To kind of wrap up, um, Ivideloni and Ivasiliski are two very interesting films to look at, not only due to their narrative and thematic similarities, but also looking at their places in their respective filmmakers' careers. Their down-to-earth provincial settings feel almost out of place with the more grandiose, outrageous directions that Fellini and Wertmuller would explore later on in their careers. But this also makes these movies feel more intimate and personal. The nuances and eccentricities of small-town life for this particular generation have an authenticity to them that resonates even decades later. As always, thank you for listening. To keep in touch with new episodes, please be sure to subscribe to the show, rate, and review. You can also follow Cinema Italiano Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, ciao amici.